Hello, hello, everybody. Um, good to be here. Um, I'll be bringing you information, hopefully of value, every week. So we're starting a podcast. We'll, we'll, we'll be going live on Facebook and, and YouTube and then uploading it to all of our, um, to our, all of our other channels, um, podcast channels. Um, so today I want to talk about flipping. Last week I, I talked a lot about the market and the type of market that we're in. Um, we're definitely in a seller's market. Um, there's two sides of every real estate deal, the buyer side and seller side. Um, the, the side that's winning in this market is the seller side. So you want to either be the seller, which is um, one that's selling their house or an investor selling their house, or you want to work for them, a listing agent that works for the seller. So it's a lot easier in this market to be on the seller side as opposed to the buyer side where um, buyers or buyer agents are making um, a lot of offers. Sellers are getting 10 offers on every deal. And so today I want to talk a little bit about the seller side. Now on the seller side, again, there's the seller, um, which also um, is the investor and the investor who's flipping property. So I'm going to talk today about the 15 keys to a profitable flip. If you guys have questions, Go ahead and ask the questions. I'll um, check all the questions and answer them at the end. But I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited to bring this information to you. Flipping properties is something I've been doing for about 20 years now. And you really have to know what you're doing in order to make a lot of money flipping. And you can. Of all the cash buying strategies, which is wholesaling real estate and fixing and flipping real estate for cash, um, flipping properties. Flipping real estate is going to make you the most money, um, but it's, it's high risk, high, high reward. And so you really have to know what to do on a flip. In most areas, the national average per flip is about $70,000. Generally, flips take somewhere between, I'll say, three or four months to six months. And some of the bigger flips could take up to a year. Um, but you have to know what you're doing. So I'm going to go over the, the keys to flipping. Um, but one thing I, I'll repeat, but I, I want you to understand, especially if you're a newer uh, one that wants to flip, try to flip with a partner that knows exactly what they're doing, number one. And then number two, try to do cosmetic flips. Don't, don't do what we call gut jobs or full renovations. Uh, do a cosmetic flip, and I'll, I'll talk about that later. But I want to make sure I get that out because I see more people losing money on flips than making money. Um, and partly because they're number one, they're buying the properties wrong. Um, they don't have the right contractors and then, um, buying the properties wrong. They don't have the right contractors and really they don't know what they're doing. They need a partner with, with experience and totally being transparent. I've lost money on flips. I mean, there's lots of ways to lose money. And over the years I've lost money on flips. And so you really have to know, what to do. Um, and, and again, the right contractors. Um, you've got to know all the 15 steps that I'm going to go over. All right. So let's get started again. If you've got questions, go ahead and put them in and in, um, I'll check them in the comments afterwards. All right. So number one. Um, so under the category of finding and purchasing flips, number one is make a business plan. You've got to have a plan of attack. And so you've got to have a plan. You've got to know exactly what you're doing. Number one, you've got to set your goals and you've got to have big goals. But initially, 
um, I would want you to set a goal of at least one flip a year. Just start off that way. Either one flip a year or one flip at a time as a goal. Um, when you get into trying to flip more than one property at a time, that's when I see um, the investors starting to uh, fail and lose money. And there's lots of properties that I bought that investors couldn't finish and the lenders had to foreclose on them. And so number one, especially if you're taking notes, let's buy one property at a time or one a year as a goal. Also know your why, like what's your motivation? Why are you doing this? Why are you flipping properties? Why do you need the money to flip properties? Um, let me also mention this, you guys, flipping properties is great. We're going to talk about flipping properties, but as a strategy, and you've got to have strategy when you do this as a strategy, I want you to take that money that you're making from your flips and number one, put money back into your business. So we're all entrepreneurs. You're an investor. You have to put money back into your business. So you got to set up a business plan, um, set up an LLC and then put some of that money back into your business to keep growing your business. Oftentimes I see people flipping properties just to pay off bills, student loans, um, credit card debt, or they'll buy a brand new car with the money that they flip. No, there's time for that. But initially we're going to take the money that we make and not only are we going to put it back into the business, but we're going to start saving some of that money to then buy and hold the buy and hold strategy where we're buying and holding for long-term wealth, cash flow, equity and appreciation. And so that's number one, know your business plan, know your strategy. Um, also, you've got to know how to find the properties. We'll talk about that in a second. And then your team, you've got to build a team, build a team of great people, great contractors, lenders, title companies, um, coach, mentor, um, people like that. So that's all part of your business plan. And so you've got to do that business plan first. Then number two, lead generation. Now, I'm going to give you the 15 steps, you guys, of a profitable flip. But in my opinion, lead generation is number one, because you could know everything there is to know about flipping properties. You might even know how to renovate properties yourself. But if you can't find any deals, who cares? And so I've always prided myself on finding deals. Even as a young um, investor, I bought my first property at 20, 23 years old, um, I prided myself even then on lead generation. I, I said to myself, I put it in my mind that nobody's going to be able to find um, the deals better than me, because if, if you have the deal, you have the gold and everybody wants a piece of that gold. So whether you're going to flip those, those opportunities yourself or you're going to wholesale those deals, you have to focus on lead generation. Now, how do I find my flips? How do I find my deals? A lot of my deals come from other investors, other wholesalers. And so um, I have wholesalers that bring me deals. But here's the reason why they bring me deals. And this is number one for you guys in terms of lead generation. You've got to brand yourself. <clears throat> you've got to brand yourself. Um, you've got to network. And that's how I get most of my deals. I don't spend a lot of money, you guys. I don't spend a lot of money on lead generation. 
because I spend my time branding myself with other investors, whether they're fix and flippers or they're wholesalers. I'm branding myself. I'm branding myself on social media. I'm letting people know I can buy houses fast for cash and close in seven days. And so I'm branding myself. Um, I tell my I tell my wholesalers I pay top dollar for wholesale deals. Like I want to be fair, um, has to meet the formula that we'll talk about. But um, but you've got to brand yourself within my sphere of influence. Um, my family, friends, um, all my colleagues, past past um, classmates, church members, they all know what I do. I'm not. I tell my real estate agents not to be a secret agent. I'm not secret. Um, I don't hold it as a secret that I'm flipping properties. Everybody knows because you just never know who can send you a deal. And so if, if I was to think back, probably all the deals that I flipped last year and I flipped two properties this year already, close to this year already, came, came from referrals, this referral business. So um, the best way to find deals is through branding yourself, creating a referral-based business, networking with people all the time, all the time. I'm normally branded. I normally in my shirt or my coat or a hat will say um, the name of my business. And so you want to brand yourself and find um, deals that way. Some of my investors that I coach, they go driving for dollars. They go to certain neighborhoods and they write down the addresses. They use certain um, technology to um, find the owner's name and phone number and they call. So they go driving for dollars. Others use bandit signs, um, direct mail, things like that. So all those types of things, what you need to do to find a deal, that needs to be in your business plan too. How am I going to find these opportunities? The number one thing that you've got to do, and that's really with any business, whether you're a real estate agent, whatever the business is, it's, it's lead generation. And then when you have those leads, you keep them and you keep marketing to them. And especially if it's a wholesaler, you, you treat them more than fair. Um, I treat my wholesalers more than fair. If a real estate agent gives me a, gives me a deal. Uh, one of my last ones, a real estate agent um, had a deal. It was a listing, but she knew it was a short sale. She knew it was a good deal. She gave me a call because she knew that if she gave me a call and I went under contract, she would get both sides of the deal. So she'd get the full 6% commission. But then also, she also knew that after I renovated the property, I'd give it back to her as a relist. And she got it back as a relist. Um, and that's one of the ones that sold uh, this year, a couple of weeks ago. So this year. So she made, um, she got the listing side and the sale side. Um, last, I think we closed in November. Um, and then she got the, um, the sales side, um, a couple weeks ago. All right. All right. So that's, that's the second thing. The third thing is buying the property in the right neighborhood. When you're flipping properties, you guys, you've got to buy the properties in the right neighborhood. We always talk about location, location, location. You've got to buy the properties in the right neighborhood. So what's the right neighborhoods? In my opinion, the right neighborhoods are um, an older neighborhood. I like buying properties in older neighborhoods where I can buy low and sell high. Older neighborhoods being, I, I like buying in neighborhoods that are 50 years old or older. 
I'm in the DMV area or Washington DC area. So we've got a lot of houses, especially in DC that are hundred years old. I wanna buy in older neighborhoods. Those are the right neighborhoods. But then you're also looking for neighborhoods that have great transportation, um, schools, um, and then other amenities. So I buy in all those kinds of neighborhoods. Newer neighborhoods, I don't really buy because you can't really buy low and sell high. And so um, buying in the right neighborhoods, I'm buying in older neighborhoods where I can buy low and sell high. And I try to stick to neighborhoods that I know. Um, and, and so for me, I've been doing this for so long and, and most of the areas either around where I live or, um, or went to school, went to college, all those neighborhoods I know. So if someone was to say, hey, hey, Greg, I've got this property in Southeast DC. Well, I, I already know what the comps are. I already know what the after repair value is. And if, if they were to tell me, well, I'm going to sell this property to you for 300,000, I already know my after repair value is probably um, 450,000 is probably, probably not a good deal. And so a lot of times I'll know without even having to look it up any research. And so you want to stick to neighborhoods that you know, where you already know the numbers, you know, the average repair costs, you know what the average after repair value is without even looking it up. Um, all right. So that's buying in the right neighborhood. Um, number four, buying the property right. Number one mistake that investors make, you guys. Number one mistake that investors make is buying the property wrong. You've got to buy the properties right. Um, in real estate investing and flipping properties in particular, it's all a numbers game. It's a word problem. And the numbers have to work. The numbers have to fit. If the numbers don't work, you don't buy the property. Uh, we have certain formulas that we go by and you've got to stick to the formula. If you stick to the formula, you, you make money. We like to say you make money going in, you make money when you purchase the property. And so I want you to make money. As soon as you sign the contract, the motivated seller signs the contract, you know, you just made money because you bought the property, right? <clears throat> Here's how to buy the property, right? You guys, um, there's a formula that we use called the Mayo formula. Mayo stands for maximum allowable offer. As one that's flipping a property, as one that's flipping a property, the formula that we use is 70% of the after repair value minus repair costs. After repair value or ARV is what the house will sell for, what we can sell the house for once it's completely renovated. New windows, new flooring, new granite countertops, new windows, new hardwood floors, everything. Once it's completely renovated, what can we sell the house for? And so we use that formula. And, and so that's the ARV is, is, is um, what we can sell the house for completely renovated. And so the formula is 70% of the after repair value minus repair cost. And so if someone was to, if, if I know that the after repair value in a particular area is 300,000, if it's 300,000, I'm going to take 70% of that. And that, that gives me 210,000, 70% of 300,000 is 210,000. Then if the renovation cost is 60,000, I'm gonna subtract that 60,000 from the 210,000, get 150,000. That 150,000 is the maximum, 
that I'm allowing myself to offer the motivated seller. That's my MAO, my maximum allowable offer. In that scenario, I'm offering 150. Here's the problem. A lot of investors are so anxious to get a deal that they'll, they may offer. And the seller says, well, I can't I can't sell the property for 150. Um, I can sell it for 250 or even 200. And I try to negotiate. There's eight different steps that I use to negotiate. And if I can't get them down to my 150, I'll walk away. I'll happily walk away and try to find another deal. There's a lot of other investors that would still buy the property at 200,000 or even 250,000. Now the numbers are so tight that everything in the deal has to be perfect. And there's everything in the deal is not perfect. You get change orders. Um, even now, like with the with the winter months, like I'm going through some things and because of now, because of COVID, it's hard getting supply. So things can go wrong. And if you're financing a deal, especially if you're using a hard money lender, um, any delays, if you go over the time, then they start charging you for that late fees and those late fees add up. So you want to buy the property right. Stick to the Mayo formula. Know that math and know it like like the back of your hand. You've got to know it and you've got to stick to it. And then 20% of the after repair value, 20% should be your profit. So if the after repair value is um, 300,000, um, your profit, you should be looking at making about $60,000. I'm expecting to make about $60,000. Sometimes I, I'll make even higher if everything you know, if, the, if, if I can actually sell the property for more than what I thought was the after repair value, and sometimes that's the case, I'll do the ARV. I, I bought one property and the ARV was 225,000. It was, it was a um, townhouse that I actually purchased through uh, what's called um, creative financing through a subject too. I ran, the, I, I ran my cost, my after repair value was 225,000. The numbers work. I was happy at 225,000. Within the next 90 days of me renovating the property, two other properties sold and one sold for 250,000 and the appraiser appraised it for 250,000. I was like, okay. So I finished the renovation, put it on the market for 250,000. Thinking I was going to originally put it on for 225,000 got a contract in two days. So I made an extra $25,000. And so, so that's another lesson. Um, you're going to run the comps before you buy the property. So you know what the after repair value is. So you buy the property, right? But in the end, when you put the property on the market, run the comps again, because the after repair value may have gone up. So now you can list it for more but don't list it for more than what the after repair value is. Don't, don't do that because now you're wasting time. Time is money. If the after repair value says 250,000, don't list it for two, 275, you're wasting time. Not only may it not sell, it's not going even if you do get a contract, it's not going to appraise. And so now you're just wasting time. When we're flipping properties, you guys, this is a business. We're in and out. We're trying to get in and out, in and out, in and out. Um, survive to live another day to flip another property. All right. Number five, how to quickly analyze a deal. And so for me, because I've been doing it for so long, I oftentimes I don't, um, a wholesaler, 
uh, will send me a deal. Oftentimes, I don't even have to go to the property to um, to know whether or not it's going to be a good deal. Um, I want you to go to the properties, but oftentimes I don't. I can analyze. I, I'll know whether or not it's a good deal. And so the numbers, you've got to use the Mayo formula. So oftentimes I'll use the Mayo formula. Um, if I don't see the property, I'll just use 20% of the after repair value as my repair costs. I'll plug that number in and then I'll run my formula. But then I also look at the location. There's areas where the numbers work. There's areas where the numbers work. I can think of areas really like in Baltimore where the numbers will work, Baltimore, Maryland, but I'll go see the property and it's a street full of what we call board up, board ups. There's houses that are vacant, they're abandoned, they've got boards on them. Do I, do I want to flip or renovate a property um, on a street like that, even though the numbers may work? And the answer is no. In real estate, you guys, remember this. Remember the three L's of real estate. What are they? What are the three L's of real estate? It's location, location, location. You want to make sure that when we're flipping properties, and we talked about that when we talked about number three, buying in the right neighborhood, the right neighborhood is the right location. So even though the numbers may work, when I quickly analyze, I'll actually go to the property and say, okay, no, this one's not for me. Um, I won't be able to renovate the property and sell it because um, not a lot of people want to live on a on a block or on a street full of boredoms or houses that are vacant or abandoned. And so that that's the challenge there. And that's the challenge that you're going to have. But not only that, when we're flipping properties, um, securing the property is a big deal. And you've got to know how to secure the properties. Um, when you're buying in neighborhoods like that, you can expect for your house to get broken into. I mean, I expect that on any deal, any flip that I do, no matter where it is, that the property um, can get broken into. I is like and and I try not to buy all right number six buy and invest um no matter where the property is, no matter what the price is, just to be investing, just to say that they're investing, um, don't be in a big rush. I'd rather you walk away um, from a deal um, that's not a good deal versus buying. We're in business.
All right, so let's talk about financing. And financing um, is the key to your success. I think other than, in my opinion, other, other than being great or being masterful at finding deals, securing financing comes second. You've got to learn how to secure financing. The investor that can secure you guys is cash intensive. It's, it's cash intensive. Sometimes you've got to put up a lot of money in order to make that money. So you got to get good at securing financing. If you were to ask me, um, how do I grow an investment business or how do I grow a business where I'm flipping properties? The answer would be financing, um, getting lines of credit, getting access to cash. Now, um, um, getting access to all the cash that you can. And so what does that mean? Um, lines of credit. I use um, community banks to get my lines of credit. And so the more lines of credit that I have, the more deals that I can do. Also using other people's money. As investors, we use other people's money to build our wealth. If you're taking notes, write that down. We use other people's money to build our wealth. And so that's what we want to do. So joint venture, like I got, as a young investor, I got really good at finding the deals. I wasn't flipping properties in my, in my, um, I mean, I wasn't wholesaling properties in my twenties and thirties. I didn't start that until my forties. Um, so what I would do is I would find the deals and I was basically as a young investor, I was, I was buying and holding uh, with my money, but I would find the deals and I would partner with the joint venture partner. They would put up the money. So they would put up the money. I would find the deals and we would manage the contractors. And I was able to flip properties that way and flip a lot of properties that way using other people's money. So joint venture, um, pri private lenders. And so I even now use a lot of private lenders, people with, with 401ks and, and just people with money, other investors um, that have um, private money. And so I'll use their money um, to flip properties. Hard money lenders. A lot of you guys heard of hard money lenders. I, I have hard money lenders. I get wonderful rates with my hard money lenders because I use them a lot, even though I use my lines of credit. But with, with lines of credit, sometimes there's only so much you can do with your lines of credit. Um, that's why I'm always trying to build my lines of credit. With my lines of credit, um, the interest rates are a lot lower than hard money. But the problem is with my hard money lender, I'm quick. I can I can close in two weeks. Really, with my hard money lender, I can close in two days. And I've closed in two days with my hard money lender. My rates, because I use them a lot, are are very, very favorable. Are, 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 I'm sorry, <laughs> scared me. Are very, very favorable. Um, and I don't have to make a monthly payment with my hard money lender. So I'm not making any month, monthly payment. So I use my hard money lender a lot. Um, but then also you guys on a lot of my flips and actually most of my flips, I don't use any of my own money whatsoever. Um, most of my flips, I'll say probably, probably about 60 to 70% of my flips, 
I'll get the acquisition money and the rehab money from a hard money lender. But then I need money to close. So I need closing cost money and I need money to get the contract to start with the first draw. I'll use a private lender for that. So I'll combine the hard money lender with a private lender and I don't have to come up with any money. My private lender will pay the closing costs and then get me started with the with um, the first draw. And then um, once I sell the property, I pay off the private lender and the hard money lender. But even if I use my line of credit, I'll use a private lender um, to pay to pay my um, closing costs and get started with the first draw until I can get the first draw money from my lender. And the lender is only going to lend um, after the draw has been completed. After that first draw is completed, then they'll come out, check the property, uh, make sure that everything in the first draw was done. Then they give you the money. And so that's how I do it. I, I try on a flip, try not to use any of my own money. I only, only use my own money if there's like a change order or something like that. So I keep my money for, for those reasons. Um, also with financing, I do a lot of what's called creative financing strategies. And we're going to have either next week or the week after, uh, I'll take a deep dive into creative financing. But I, I do a lot of what's called subject to. Um, so I'll buy the property, property subject to the existing mortgage. So the existing mortgage stays on the property and I'll pay that mortgage payment um, for generally, I'm in, generally in and out on, on those in 90 days. And so um, I, I do a lot of subject to, and actually that's, that's the first option. When I, when I look at a property, I'm thinking, you know, is it a scenario where I can do a subject to, but, but I do owner financing as well. Um, there's about five different, um, um, different types of creative financing strategies that I, that I do and that I'll teach that I do on my flips. And so there's a different, there's, and some people pay cash. I don't recommend paying cash, um, but a lot of people do pay cash. Uh, but I, I like creative financing as, as a first um, strategy to finance. If I don't have to use bank financing, I don't. And so that's the first thing that I look at. All right, so that's financing. You've got to figure out as part of your business plan, how are you going to finance the deals? Um, if you have no money, it's okay. Use somebody else's money. Like I did in my 20s, get real good at finding the deals. There's lots of investors, including myself, that would be happy to, um, to partner with you and to do a joint venture agreement or some type of partnership with you. I'm happy to do that. I find a deal. You put up the money. Um, I can use my crews. I'm good. I'll split the profits with you if I don't have to use any of my own money. All right. Um, number eight, um, making accurate repair cost estimates. And so generally speaking, we, we want a contractor to make those estimates. Um, really the contractor that's going to do the work, we want them to estimate the repair costs. But look, if you're getting into flipping properties, you guys, if you're getting into flipping properties, got to learn the repair costs yourself. You've got to learn it. And there's lots of different ways, there's lots of different websites that you can use. Again, if you're flipping properties and you're a novice at it, 
get someone with experience, do a few deals, do a few deals to learn how to estimate the repair costs. Generally speaking, generally speaking, you guys, write this down. Generally speaking, the total repair costs should be no more than 20% of the after repair value, generally speaking. So I don't want you to use an excuse. I don't know how to estimate repair costs. You should be taking a contractor with you. You should be taking um, a coach or a mentor with you. Um, if you're a wholesaler, you should be taking a cash buyer with you. But if all else fails and someone says, a motivated seller says, um, I need you to look at the property tomorrow. I'm ready to sell. You can't find anybody. Generally speaking, your repair cost is going to be about 20% of the after repair value. So if after repair value is 300,000, you should be spending no more than $60,000 using $60,000 for repair costs. Write that down. That cannot be your excuse. Well, I have to pass on the deal because I don't know what the repair cost is. And so you've got to get good at it. There's different websites um, that you can use to get really good at it. Um, and in a lot of my classes that I teach my investors, um, you know, we take a deep dive into, into repair costs, but you've got to learn how to do repair costs. You guys, you got to learn how to figure it out. How much are windows? How much does it cost to paint a house? How much are roofs? Um, your appliances, granite, um, flooring, all those kinds of things, bathrooms. You've got to learn those things. Um, Homeadvisor.com is good. Angie's List is good to learn those things. And there's a lot of other sites. But I, I, I primarily learn kind of on the job, just, just um, getting estimates. Have that baseline, have that baseline of 20%. Now, that 20% rule um, is probably about 80% accurate because every deal is different. Every single deal is different. But I even use that. I even use 20% on, on most of my flips. Um, if it's a flip in, let's say it's the Petworth area of um, North, Northwest Washington, D.C., I um, and let's just say, for example, after repair value is $800,000, um, i am not spending more than $160,000 on that flip. That's 20%. I'm not spending more than 20%. I already, I already know that. So when I talk to a contractor and say, give me an estimate for my draw schedule, I already know I'm not spending more than that because I probably put it under contract for 400. And so the numbers have to fit. So know the repair costs. Also be mindful of holding costs, closing costs and change orders. Um, what a contractor may do is they, they may estimate um, a repair cost um, and give you a, a lower repair costs. And that's happened to me. I've gotten three estimates from contractors. I went with the lowest one. Then once he got started, he started giving me a bunch of change orders. So now what I do is I put in my independent contractor's agreement, um, no change orders. Take a look at the property, do your inspection, take your time, but no change orders. This is not going to be bait and switch, no change orders. And so that, that's what I do. All right. So that's repair costs. Hiring contractors. Number nine, hiring contractors. <clears throat> Number one, you want to make sure that they're licensed. 
make sure that they're bonded if Listen to this, you guys. One of the biggest challenges that we have as flippers, investors that are flipping properties, one of the biggest challenges um, that we have is getting the right contractors. And it's not to put a bad name on contractors. It's not to say that all contractors are bad. They're not. It's just that the bad ones give the good ones a bad name. And so how do you get the good ones? It's, it's all referral based. You got to get referrals. Um, you get referrals from other investors, um, other contractors. Sometimes I'll drive neighborhoods and I'll um, look at um, contractors work. I'll get out the car, look at their work and get their business cards. Um, if I want a good painter, I might go to Sherwin Williams or another paint company, um, um, another paint company to get who are who are the who are the painters that have the biggest accounts with you give me their right contractors is so important hopefully i'm not frozen i see you guys say that i'm frozen uh, hopefully i'm not frozen now um, and i'll answer your questions when we're done but you got to get the right contractors you guys i mean you, you just do and, and so here's a here's the thing about contractors. You can't say that okay, here's the project, here's the here's the scope of work, here's the draw schedule, go at it. You've got to be at that project, if not every day, every other day. Because I, I have contractors, I've got a few, a few crews that I sometimes they'll take a project that may take a day or two and be off there instead of working on my project. I, I um, a couple years ago, I was in the neighborhood. Um, looking at another project of of, um, of a project that we were working on, so I said, "Well, let me stop by. It's unannounced. It's it, you know, it's fine." Nobody was at my project. I went berserk. I'm like, where are you? So I called them. Where are you? See, they were used to me only coming every other day or every couple of days, and so. They are off at another project. I said, you better be back here tomorrow or I'm going to fire you. And this was a crew that I'd been with for like 10, 15 years. So
kind of hard work. What's the process of putting down tile on a bathroom floor? You know, is there something that has to go under the tile, the wonderboard? Um, did they do that? They'll skip, they'll skip steps, you guys, to save money. So you've got another. So you want to go not only to check on them, but also to um, learn. You want to learn the process so that obviously by now I feel like, I um, mean, I don't have a contractor's license or anything. But I feel like I can really I feel like I can build a house. I know every step because I've been doing it for so long. And that's what you. Uh, I have a project now where I didn't think I needed inspect. And we were doing. In we He had them all. And he didn't. A couple other things. But know that process, know, know the inspector. I'm in here. Or, or when it's break, 
Nika said, I've been, I've been. To God. And even. We want to put together a scope of work, which is a narrative um, that lets us know, really, the contractor and the lender know exactly what we're going to be doing with the project. It's going to, it's a three bedroom, one bath. Now, when we finish, it's going to be a four bedroom, two bath house. Again, if my team can come in here and and try to help out with 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 this freezing that that would be helpful um oh it's better now okay good um all right so we need a scope of work you know let the contractors know exactly what's going on I'm going to turn, I'm, I'm going to go up a level <clears throat> or I'm going to go from three bedrooms, one bath to four bedrooms, two baths. Uh, I'm going to be using um, hardwood floors, ceramic tile, um, whatever it is, all that's on your scope of work. So everybody knows exactly what you're going to do. And then you do your um, draw schedule. I generally break my draws up into um, three different draws. So say, for example, if the draw schedule, if the budget is 75,000, I break that up into 25,000 in the first draw. This amount of work needs to be done and then I'll get the first 25,000. This amount of work needs to be And then I'll, I'll get what work needs to be done. Hopefully it's not freezing now. I don't know why it's freezing. Um, maybe the connection is bad. But um, let, let's just get through this. I only have three, three more steps, you guys. And then if you guys have questions, I'll answer. Most of you guys that are commenting um, know how to get a hold of me if you guys have questions or need copies of anything. I'm reading off of a handout. So if you guys want the handout, just um, you know how to reach me or, or put in, go to, uh, you, you can um, DM me on, on Facebook. All right, so we talked about the budget. Got to stay on budget. Don't go over budget. Don't let a contractor take you off that budget. Um, we've got to finish on time um, and don't over improve. I, I take a lot of my, my students out with me to my projects and they get into my projects and say,
it's going to cost me more money if I do those things. And then you only need one buyer. And so I used to take down walls and do a lot of those other things. I don't do those anymore when I can help it. And depending on where the property is, uh, you take a wall down, it's, it's more than just taking drywall down. Sometimes there's a duct in that wall, there's electrical wires in that wall. It could be a load bearing wall. So you've, you've got to consider all of those things. All right, number 12, um, you want to add special touches. And I, and I, I, I do add special touches, um, but they're inexpensive. Like, like the, the Wayne's coating look, right? I use a lot of moldings in my in my flips. Crown molding, I use chair rail, the um, the picture frame molding to make it look like it's Wayne's coating. I use a higher inch um, baseboard shoe molding. So I use lots of moldings in, in my renovations because it makes, in my opinion, makes the house look grand, but it's just wood. It's very, very inexpensive. When I can do like coffer ceilings, when our ceilings are high enough, I do those things because it's inexpensive. It's just drywall and wood and mold. And so I do those things in, in my houses to make it look grand. I, I, I do put um, recessed lighting into all of mine. So lightings are important, but those are a lot of things that you guys can do um, to, to improve the sellability of the property that's not expensive. Um, it's less expensive than oftentimes taking walls down, oftentimes than adding bedrooms and bathrooms. I only add bedrooms and bathrooms if the highest comp in the area calls for a four bedroom, two and a half bath house, then I'll do that because I have to match the highest comp. But I'm not gonna go over and above that because I'm not gonna get I'm not going to get my money back um, for that. So I, I will do that. I will do some of those things uh, to add the little special touches so I can get even more money for the properties. All right. Last three things, you guys. Hopefully the screen um, doesn't act up. And thank, thank you guys for your patience. But I do really want you guys flipping properties. Um, as much as I will tell you it's, it's a risk, risky proposition, um, there's no other investment strategy um, that you'll make more money. And again, national average is $70,000 a flip. Here in the DMV, the, the average is about $100,000 a flip. So you can make a lot of money, but you have to know what you're doing. All right, last three things, sell and, sell and profit. Number one, staging your house. Do you stage or don't you stage? And so for me, I staged all my properties. There was a time early on where I, I didn't stage at all. Um, I thought it was just an added expense. It, it wouldn't make a difference. It's a renovated house. But here's what staging does for you. Number one, in most cases, you can get about 15% more um, for the house if you stage the house. So write that down. But then also, whenever you renovate the properties, there's going to be some little deficiencies that when you go, when you first walk into a house, your eyes go right to the deficiencies. As much as you try to renovate and the house is perfect, there's something that's not going to be perfect. And the eyes go directly there. If your house is staged, goes right to the staging. Oh, this is beautiful. The end buyer is starting to think um, how they can, um, put their furniture in there, how they can decorate much like 
the house that's being staged, they often ask, can, can a furniture come, come with um, the house? And the answer is no. Um, but I stage and I highly recommend staging. Um, you get your money back. Um, every house that I've, I've not staged properties didn't sell as soon as I staged the properties they sold. And so staging works, you guys. And so I highly, highly, highly recommend staging. Um, put that into your budget. Um, I do get, I feel like I do get 10, 15% more because of the staging. Um, and my houses sell a lot faster. So that's just part of my budget is staging. All right, number 14 sell the house quickly you want to sell the house quickly let's not be greedy yeah like karen is saying we're visual people staging is essential thank you karen a absolutely so i stage i stage um all of my houses um number 14 let's price our properties um we're going to run the comps we're going to look at the highest comp we're going to we're going to price our properties there not $10,000 more, not $20,000 more, not $30,000 more. We're going to get in and out. Like I, I feel I'm happy. I'm blessed. Um, I'm excited when I get that contract. If I, if I'm trying to be too greedy, um, if I'm trying to be too greedy, when I sell the house, it's going to sit and it doesn't do me any good. Um, it's going to cost me more because I pay more interest. Um, on the loans. And so let's price it right. Price it where you thought you were going to price it. Price it where, where the comps say to price the house. Let's not be too greedy. Let's get in and out. If you go through two weekends, if you go through two weekends and the house hasn't sold, then it's priced too high. And you've got to lower the price by $10,000. 80% of the time, the investors, you're pricing your houses too high. 80% of the time, you've got to price it according to the comps. Justify your pricing with the comps. Price it right. Let's get in and out. Let's live to see another day. And let's get our money. And then let's go find another property to flip. Last thing, number 15, last thing. And then if you guys have questions, I'll, I'll answer them. Um, get the guidance from a coach or a mentor. It's just, you've got to get guidance. Don't try to flip on your, on your own risky proposition, high risk flipping properties, um, low risk wholesaling properties. I tell a lot of my investors, you need to start wholesaling because it's low risk. You still make a lot of money, uh, 15,000, 20,000 wholesaling. If you want to step up to flipping, especially for your first few deals, even if you're experienced, I see experienced um, flippers making making mistakes. There's there's experienced flippers who call me and say, Greg, will you partner with me? That they'll put up the money. I just bring my expertise because they know that you know they don't want to lose money. You can make a lot of money, you guys, but you've got to learn the game, and it's a learning curve. And if you don't have time to manage the properties, then you got to get a partner. I knew because I'm busy. I, you know, I've got you know, other businesses that I don't have time to go out there every day, every other day. So I've hired someone. So I have a team. So I have a team that goes out every day, every other day, checking on the contractors. 
if you don't have anyone to, to go check on the contractors or if you can't check on the contractors, um, either get a team or get a partner and let them do the checking. One of my, one of my students bought a property in Baltimore to flip. She lives in Virginia and she knew that she just didn't have time to check on the properties like she should have. She, she found a property on um, one of the auction sites online, bid on the property and won. She got another partner within my, my coaching program that actually lives, he either lived in Baltimore, close to part in Baltimore. He put up money on the flip so they can partner. And part of his responsibility was to check on the property. So you've got to check on it. Um, got to get the guidance though. Coach, mentor, got to get the guidance, you guys. You've, you've got to get it. All right, you guys, um, before we break up, no, I'm right at an hour. Good. Um, let's see. Are there any questions? I think I saw a few questions that I'll answer here. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. I think I don't. Are there questions? Let me see. OK, so can you explain? So here's a, here's a question. Um, can you explain the draw process? All right, so the draw process real quickly, Brian, is um, generally speaking, you're gonna borrow the money from a lender. Um, and let's say that your budget is $90,000. And so I like to break my draws up into um, three draws. And you can have four draws, um, but I break mine up into three draws. So if, if the budget is $90,000, um, I want my I want the lender to give me the first thirty thousand dollars. They're only going to give it to you once that work in the first draw is done. So I like to put in my first draw. Um, I'll put change in the locks. I'll put the demo. I'll put um, permits, architect. I put all those types of things in the first draw. I might put um, the rough electrical. Um, I might put the rough plumbing. So electrical, the, the electricians running their wires, um, the plumbing, if, if there's um, pipes that um, are, are new drain that needs to be dug out, or if we're putting in, if we're changing the pipes, all those types of things are in the first draw. Um, if it's an HVAC system and the house doesn't have an HVAC system, I'll, I'll, I'll generally put in the first draw <clears throat> just to run the ducts. So I put those things in the first draw once all of those things are done, then I'll go to um, the lender and have the lender come chat. <clears throat> they'll, they'll make sure everything is done and then we'll get the money for the first draw. And then so on and so forth. The second draw is the same thing. The, the work in the second draw needs to be done. They'll come and check and then they'll give you the money for the second draw. Once everything is done, one of my lenders not only once everything done, the final inspection done, um, they want the house on the market, then they give you the last draw. And so that's that's how the draw process works. All right, do you pay commitment fees for hard money loans? Um, is that fee um, is that fee normally charged? So hard money lenders, they don't really have a commitment fee. My hard money lender charges uh, a, a flat fee of, 
I think it's $500. And so you could call that a commitment fee, uh, but they charge a flat fee and, and then that's it. Um, the interest is, um, is, is paid at the end. No, no, the, in, the interest, so they'll charge points up front. So the points, which is a percentage of the loan amount, that's paid up front, but then I make no monthly payments. I'll make no monthly payments after that. All right. Um, all right. Simpson is is in the house. I think all the way from Jamaica. All right, girl. She's tuning in. All right. Hey, Linda. Linda's here. Michael. Let me see if there's any more comments. I don't think so. All right, you guys. All right. So let's get let's get out of here. Um, I want I want you guys to follow me um, on Instagram. Follow me on Instagram. Um, I'll I'll we'll be bringing more valuable information. So um, go to Instagram now. Go to Greg Bennett Invest and follow me there. Follow me on Instagram. Um, if you are a real estate agent, we teach this stuff to our agents all the time. Go to joinbrs.com. That's joinbrs.com. Um, or call my office here um, at Bennett Realty Solutions. We'd love to um, talk to you, um, not only about um, wholesaling and flipping properties, but also about real estate investing. We're 100% company. We'd love to have you. Um, I'm hosting a live wholesale webinar tomorrow. Free, it's free of charge. I'm hosting it live. Go to livewholesalewebinar.com, you guys. Livewholesalewebinar.com. Um, sign up for my free webinar tomorrow. If you guys have questions about anything, you know how to get up. Most of you guys know how to get a hold of me. You can go to my Instagram um, to get a hold of me. That's Greg Bennett Invest. Look, you guys, it's 2021. Let's go. What are you going to do different this year that you didn't do last year? And for most of you guys, it's either starting your real estate investment career or taking your investment career to the next level. But we have to, in these trying times with pandemics and things like that, uh, pandemics, we've got to have another stream of income. Real estate investing is the answer. Don't make the excuse, well, I can't get into real estate investing because I don't have cash. I have very bad credit. We start, off, we start you off wholesaling. That's why you should be on my webinar tomorrow. My wholesalers are making $10,000, $15,000, $20,000 per wholesale deal. And then we graduate you up to flipping properties. But, but ultimately, for generational wealth, retire financially free and to leave a legacy for your family, we take this cash from wholesaling or flipping properties, and then we start buying and holding real estate. That's what's going to make you guys wealthy. I'll bring you more information on buying and holding. But let's go. 2021 is here. Let's stop hesitating. Let's live up to our fullest potential. Your excuse is not you're not educated or you don't have resources. I'm right here, you guys. I'm right here. I'd um, love to see you on my webinar tomorrow. If you're an agent, go to um, joinbrs.com. Um, take care. God bless. And I will talk to you guys soon. Have a great day.